There is nothing like the threat of fire to grab your heart and to move you to action. Just about two months ago, the California wildfires took on a very personal nature to our church family. When three of our kids were surrounded by them while attending Pepperdine University, Garrett and Hannah, the twins of Cindy Schrader, and Jesse B. Bolton, the daughter of Shelley and Scott Bolton. Cindy said she first heard of the fires when she received a text on November 9th, about 9 o'clock. She was at a Tybee football game. The text said the winds of the fire had changed and were heading for the coast and possibly Pepperdine University. At that moment, who was getting scorched on the field became the least of her priorities. And seeing her kids again alive and not scorched became priority one. The coastal area, the newspaper said, was Bedlam. The city of Malibu had issued an evacuation notice for everyone. Everyone. But the prospect of relocating a university of three to 4,000 students using the Pacific Coast Highway just wasn't feasible, President Andrew Benton said. When an entire city of car-dependent residents are evacuating themselves, it's chaos. And so he wrote, 30 years ago, with the help of the L.A. County Fire Department, the school put together what's called a shelter-safe, shelter-in-place policy. It was a purposeful strategy to create a safe environment for those Pepperdine University students to safely wait out a fire that surrounded the campus. Such a plan was even a possibility at all, interestingly, due to the fact that the architect, William Perea, designed the campus anticipating it would face the danger of fire several times in its future. Not once, but several, and it has. So from the landscaping around the perimeters, the presence of strategic lakes, the materials used to construct the buildings, and the purposeful positioning of those buildings, all of it was designed by William to withstand a fire that threatened to destroy the campus at any time. And several of them thought there had been a fire that would, but it didn't including this horrendous fire that's been California, which we all know has several fires a year, their greatest fire damage ever in history. Here's the picture of our kids leaving the dorm rooms, taking shelter in the center of the campus where the library and the cafeteria were together. Here's the scene a few hours later on the campus perimeter. And here's one taken from the cafeteria where the kids were sheltered, watching all of that from a distance. And then here's a note from about the time of the night that um, Cindy was in contact with her daughter. Update on flames. They're closer. They keep telling us we're safe. Every window you look out is full of flames, smoking buildings, and so we have to sleep with masks on. They evacuated Malibu forever ago, and yet we still stay all good. Cindy's response, are people sleeping? Are you scared? I know I am for all of you. Praying so. Not a text you want to receive or give at 3 o'clock in the morning, is it? At the time, neither of the families were aware of what William Pierre had done. 
in helping to plan for and predict the upcoming fires that would attack that university on their own. But they were so grateful later when they found out someone had intentionally planned on this possibly happening. All they knew was that their kids were in harm's way and their prayers and encouragement were all they could offer for them at the time. I can't imagine. I'll finish the rest of the story in a moment, but you have an idea of how it ends because none of you were asked to a funeral in the month of November for any of our college kids. So a fair question might be, then why bring all that up for the second half of our 2020 vision? Here's the short answer. A destructive fire is coming. Every part of God's creation is going to be tested by it. Jesus promised that it's going to be every bit as real and every bit as destructive as any wildfire we have ever seen or ever heard of or been a part of. And the good news is God, the greatest architect ever, has prepared a refuge to escape for all who are interested. Like William Perea, with the intentionality of knowing that fire is coming, and not a matter of if but when, this Kerrville leadership that the Kerrville Church of Christ wants to do all that we can to help prepare others for the fire that's coming. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Peter was attempting to do the same for his churches that we're attempting to do for this one. Here's his encouragement there. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary full of vibrant life in which you will serve as holy priests offering Christ-approved lives up to God. I know that you probably haven't been thinking much about this this week, but God wants to build in us and with us a habitat for humanity like no other. Erin said she can't think of a better program. Well, I think this one trumps that one. It's truly a refuge for any and all, and it's fireproof. Even the best of home that this habitat for humanity can build isn't. God's is. Last week, I introduced you to three families that moved into our community, kind of. A single mom in her late 20s, Jamie Duro, who is a hospice nurse and has two kids. Elton and Joanne Rigsby, who are in their 70s and retired. And the Prince family, Elise, Branton, and their three kids, Chelsea, Everett, and Kendrick. They're in their 40s. And as I mentioned, is a new receivers coach for the Antlers. She's a homeschooler for their kids. But as I also mentioned, they're, they're not actual people. Jesse B. and Hannah and Garrett are actual people, but the Rigsby's and the DeRose and the Prince families are not. They do, however, represent three families that make up, I promise you, several families like them in our community. And while they're all very, very different, they all share one common reality amongst the three. None of them, none of them have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And scripture then says, here are the scriptures that are also associated with them. They're separated from God, they are lost, and they are currently destined, if nothing changes, to alter that, to suffer an eternity apart from God in the fires of hell. You mean because they don't go to this church? (laughs) No, we don't preach that. 
That's because they have no relationship with Jesus Christ and his church at all. And they've not welcomed Christ's death on the cross as payment for their sin debt. They've not made Jesus Christ Lord of their lives. They've not received the gift of the Holy Spirit through new birth and baptism. And they are in utmost danger. I unpacked for you last week several reasons as to why, but the simple truth is they just don't have a relationship with Christ. And the question that I ask, I want to ask again, does anyone care? Is there any effort, is there any plan underway, is there any intentionality on our part to see that they could? And you say, well, Jimmy, I don't even know these people. I don't know the Rigsby's, I don't know the DeRose, I don't know the Prince family. Yeah, you do. They're on your staff, they're, they're on your block, they're going to be in your pickleball league this coming fall. And without your assistance, there is one less person to help them prepare for what tragedy lies ahead they can't avert. Any other way except Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know this is all a little bit sobering, and it's meant to be, because the fires that are coming are sobering. But I was with our community group after last Sunday, and after having talked about these hypothetical families in a pretty specific way, I had some of our, um, our, our life group just nervous about the details that were a part of it, especially for the hypothetical uh, receivers coach that was on Jones's team. So much so that Karen Laurent said, I sure hope you got permission for those details, or we're going to have to take up a collection for your lawyer. And of course I didn't because they were hypothetical. They're just representative of people that I know. And I purposely went into specific detail about them because I didn't want to fool you as much as I wanted to prepare you for the emotion and intent behind this 2020 vision. That your shepherds are unfolding through this mouthpiece. Your elders care about what people have to face without Jesus Christ in their lives, both now and in the future. And so we're aiming at doing our best to be prayerfully proactive and to be prayerfully intentional in our efforts to warn them and hopefully prepare them for a way to God that he might save them. You see, it's up to God to save them, but it's up to us to stay connected to the Father ourselves and then to reach out to them so that they could. And no, we can't save them all, but we can save some from an eternal destiny that's apart from God in what the Bible calls hell. Now, that's not a subject we talk about here often. And you know what? I'm not sure that it should be. But I do believe this. We need to talk about it some because Jesus did. Roughly 13% of his teachings refer to the eternal judgment and to hell. Two-thirds of his parables relate to the themes of resurrection and judgment. And in them, Jesus isn't cruel, but he's incredibly blunt. And to be honest, his candor often left his audiences stunned, just like some of you look this morning. In Matthew chapter 7, he speaks in very clear terms about this choice of paths every single one of us makes, either one that leads to destruction or one that leads to life. And the one chosen by the majority of the people, he says, is the one that leads to destruction. And on that path are even some religious folks who think that they're in, who think that they're walking the path that leads to life. But Jesus says very clearly, depart from me, I don't know you. And they interrupt, but, but, but Lord, here's what we did for you. And he says, I'm telling you, 
I don't know you. That's sobering. So much so that Jesus says this in Matthew 10 and verse 28, Fear him, the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And the hell that he speaks of there is one of its inhabitants being quoted to say, Look, to someone else who wasn't there, would you please allow them to go and tip his finger in the water so that it might cool my tongue? Now, I don't know what that says to you. But words like body and finger and tongue point to some kind of a physical state in which a real throat longs for real water, begging for real relief. Where is hell? It's a place set aside in God's universe where his presence is non-existent. It's a place that's devoid of his beauty. It's a place devoid of his goodness. And it's reserved for those who have no need of recognizing him, have no need of respecting him, let alone giving him thanks for what he's blessed us with or the people he's surrounded us by. You say, well, Jimmy, what is hell like? Well, Jesus parallels it with a place called Gehenna. It was an actual place, a rubbish dump outside the southwestern walls of Jerusalem. And it's famous for its unending smoldering fire there and decay. It's a dump. And he employs this picture of Gehenna as a word picture of hell. And in Mark chapter 9 and verse 48 says, It's a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus speaks of these graceless people thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Say, but Jimmy, isn't he just being poetic? I think he's being specific. I don't know for sure, but I do know this. If God depicts hell as a place where a deathless worm and a quenchless fire exist and where there's a grinding of teeth and the filling of eyes with nonstop tears, I don't care how symbolic those phrases are. I don't want to go. Amen? I don't want to go. And talking about it makes me want to swallow two cars. How long will it last, Jimmy? Well, Jesus describes the length of hell with the same adjective he uses to describe the length of heaven. Eternal. Those who suffer in it will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life, Matthew 25 and verse 46. And John wraps up his revelation in chapter 14 and verse 11 by saying this, The smoke of their torment, those who are in hell, goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, night or day. I may be wrong. Hell may have a back door or a graduation day, but I haven't found it in Scripture yet. And I share any of that because there's a destructive fire. Jesus, the one who who prophesied about an event that was going to involve him dying on a cross at the hands of his own religious tribe, and yet him raising again from the dead three days later, and him pulling all that off, that same person said, there's a fire that's coming. And I'm standing up here because I know the first events that he described and he prophesied about actually took place, and so I'm, I'm guessing that just as he knew the cross was coming, and what was going to happen with that, he also knows that there's a fire coming and what's going to happen with that. And that's sobering to me. And it's sobering to the elders of this church. 
And thinking about that has sparked us, no pun intended, but has sparked us to put some things before you before the year 2020 is completed. Because we realize that this will matter in the salvation of some very, very special people to God. The people that he had a hand in creating and placing on this globe, hoping that they would choose one day to love him back. Martha Foy put her money where her death was, literally. And when she died, she made a significant contribution to this church and to the mission of this church, hopefully, to pay off the indebtedness of a building, thinking that we would use that money and our energies more for debt, I mean fire prevention, and not debt elimination. When I moved here, we spent a lot of air time and a lot of, of praying for and a lot of intentionality about paying off this building. And by God's grace, we were able to burn the mortgage on that and celebrate that. And I'm thrilled about that, and I think God is too, but he's thrilled even more, not for that accomplishment, but for what enables us now to turn our focus and our vision towards his mission in a more absolutely absurd, outrageous way than ever before. And that is to seek and save lost people. This matters so much that, as I mentioned last week, your elders are committing to eight hours of training a year to make sure we're connected to Christ and we are influencing others for Christ first before we ever ask you to. We intentionally are hoping to gather a team of prayer warriors specifically aimed at not so much physical sickness. Yes, we'll pray for those things, but the spiritual sickness that is predominant in this town of ours and the people who are absolutely in a mess because of it. And that we could be bridges into their lives to help redeem them and restore them before this fire comes. It's a vision that seeks to increase our focus away from this building that most of the time we think of as discipleship central, but more towards our home that really is discipleship central. So much so that along with measuring the amount of dollars in our bulletins, we want to begin to measure how many people are putting their homes on the front lines of this ministry. We're looking for 200 homes who will host at least one of our KCC family in a year's time and then also host someone who could be a part of this KCC family so that we could love on them and point them to Christ and grow them up in Christ. We believe that, yes, they can hear about Jesus and his story from this place, but we feel like they hear it best from your place. And so we want to intentionally point you back home. We're stepping up our efforts to move you from rows like this in this morning to circles. About 175 of you participate in life groups every single week. And by the end of 2020, we're hoping to see at least 300 of you involved in one. All of which we hope will see us celebrating 100 brand new lives into Christ by the end of 2020. Now on the average, as we talked about last week, our partners, Arms of Hope, through them we've had the privilege of witnessing 25 to 30 new lives in Christ added every year. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in the morning, in the morning, in a minute. <laughs> the truth is their organization was seeing about that many people brought to Christ before they ever came to join us years ago. Your eldership believes we can do better than that. 
We want to do more than just simply add their numbers of new lives of Christ to our bulletin. We believe that we, we can add just as many of those lives if we focus on his mission intensely, more so than we have in the past. Your elders believe we have a job of seeing that move closer to 50 decisions a year, not just 25 to 30. And that's just the beginning. Because getting them into Christ is just a start. It's just like Jesus calls it. It's a, it's a birth. And, and any one of us who's had a privilege of having a child birthed into your home knows that's just the beginning. It's a wonderful beginning, but it's just the beginning. But it's the beginning that we hope that God helps grace us with. One area that we hope that is growing and will continue to grow and to mature in is our relationship with the arms of hope. It is the primary local mission of this church. In 2009, this church was approached by the Arms of Hope Medina campus to partner with them in helping to rescue and restore some very precious lives that were in their care. And this eldership said yes. Now each week, close to 100 join us, and their coming further underscores what we've already experienced in our own lives, and that is you don't have to experience hell before you experience the consequences of devastating, destructive choices in your life. A lot of them have been burned just like you and I have been. By the choices of others, and by choices of their own. And Arms of Hope has come not just with open arms asking to receive anything from this church. They also came to lock arms with us. About a year and a half ago, I was approached by Troy Robertson, CEO of, um, of Arms of Hope, and he wanted to come alongside us and assist us in an area that he knew was a part of our heart, and that was to help us better connect with God and worship here. And he wanted to come alongside and help pay for bringing a brand-new worship minister to this place to help us in our efforts here. And they did, and they still are. We, in turn, have provided resources necessary to help train and grow up their kids and their together moms. It's an incredible dance that your elders want to make sure you understand is still on the forefront of everything that we want to do as far as the kingdom here in Kerrville, Texas. That's not changing. They receive the lion's share of our local mission efforts, but it's just some of our local mission efforts. We are also joining alongside and with Parenting Resource Center into helping moms who may be at that moment of decision about whether to abort a child or to keep that child, to help them hang on to that child. But more than that, this Parenting Resource Center helps them once, once mothers say yes and they have the child, they help them raise that child, get them connected to church families where they can come alongside and help. We're working with Child Protective Services. Don't have a slide for them. But it's one of those moments, a lot of the times they get a bum rap from, from people and the way they talk about that service, but who's going to step in when a child has been left at home alone while mom and dad go on a date for a couple of days? Child Protective Services does it. Who's going to step in when someone makes a 911 call because they can hear a child screaming because they're being beaten? Child Protective Services does that. And in that stopgap measure between them and another one of our ministries, Divinity Family Services, they need help with diapers and they need help with people who will come and love on some of those children until they can be placed in a foster care facility. Randy Rose and Anna Pruitt are members of our own church family. And they head up Divinity Family Services, a ministry that was launched not many years ago and is now not just here in Curve, but is moving out statewide and might be even nationwide before my lifetime is done. Habitat, 
You've heard about this morning and what a thrilling partnership that's becoming as we're not the only ones building house number 112, but also joining Impact Church, who's also throwing in half of the cost of that home and also throwing in half of the labor for that. And you'll be hearing more about that a little bit later. Now, in addition to those relatively new efforts, we're continuing with what we've already been doing here. And, and my, the needs never seem to go away with what we've been doing here. And we make no apologies for that. Because it takes effort and dedication and time and money to love on people and to bring them out of the darkness and into the light and not just, for, like I said, to help them make that transfer early on and to become a Christian, but to see them grow and mature as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to continue with Summit Kids, an incredible ministry to our kids and their children's ministry that, that also goes along with that where we need help from volunteers who will, who will come alongside. And I love how Summit Kids is organized, is that you can come in for six weeks, six weeks, and you can either tell a story, or you can give history in a classroom, or you can help cook a creation pizza, you can help with drama, and you do that same thing six weeks repeated. Not, not, not new preparation, just new hope and new excitement every week. They've just completed their five years of having gone through the entire Bible and have just now started year six. Yay, God! I mean, it's a VBS-level experience for children every single week. And I warn folks, if you get your kids anywhere near that VBS-style class, you're going to come back anyway. It's incredible. We're going to keep going with that. We're going to keep going with Ricky and, and the Pruitt family as they minister to our teens. They, that, that, that teen effort of ours has grown exponentially since they've arrived. And, and Ricky himself has proved that you can be ADD and it'd be a beautiful thing. <laughs> We're going to keep going with teaching God's words in our adult classes and in our, in our college, in any class that we have. That's still our passion because who's going to do it? Who's going to let people know the exciting story that God has unfolded in his word? We're trying to unpack that on Sunday, Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And we hope you take advantage of that because it is how that we grow. Studying to show ourselves approved and rightly dividing his word. We're going to keep going in foreign missions. I'm not going to talk much about foreign missions in this Vision 2020. It's in there. I hope you pick up a copy of it. It looks something like this, and they're on the tables out there. If you want to see the entire vision, it's all there. Take it home, and hopefully over a cup of coffee, get to know what this church is aiming at through the year 2020. But foreign missions is a huge part of that. How huge? One of our goals as an eldership is to see local missions and foreign missions total 51% of our budget. 51%. Because we care about getting the news about this approaching fire and the refuge that's available to avoid it to everyone around the globe who will listen. Growing our family is a priority, though. We make no apologies about that. I think God would want it to be true of every single one of your families. Before you helped any other family outside yours, you want to make sure your family was okay, right? Well, we're trying to do the same here. Yes, we want to be involved in local missions. Yes, we want to be involved in foreign missions. But you're our mission to make sure that you're connected to Christ and that you're growing in Christ. And I want to say this as we wrap this up. Satan hates any of this. Hates it. And he will do everything within his power to stop it. Anytime he sees us living life to the full with grateful hearts for both blessings and trials, come on. Anytime he sees us living life to the full, celebrating weddings and birthdays and baptisms and anniversaries and our daily gifts and our blessings from God. Anytime he sees us anticipating God working through all things. 
both tragedy and triumph, to form us into the image of Christ. Anytime he sees that, he despises it. We'll do his best to stop it and minimally discourage it. And so we're coming into this sober and aware. The last thing that Satan wants is a church that actually gets involved in mission, doesn't just talk about it. After the issuing of a vision statement, anyone who does so needs to add these words to it. This will accomplish nothing if we don't commit to it. So these two weeks have been calling, or what we've been calling the mission, the vision reveal. Next week, you're going to be given a chance to make a vision response. We're going to invite you to be able to connect with this. And so there are also some forms out there that we passed out last week that give you some kind of an idea about some of the pressing needs we have right now as a mission point. And we need someone's heart, someone's ability, someone's piece of the puzzle to connect with it so that it can be effective in the way that we believe God's calling us to. What we're asking is, starting last week and this week, just pick one of those up. Don't fill it out. Just pray over it. And, and begin listening to God and saying, okay, God, if, if what you need me for is not on this sheet, help me put it on here and get it into the hands of some folks who will help connect me with others. And maybe, just maybe, you're stirring something that didn't even make the list. Please pray for outrageous things. Because God always respects courageous prayer. Will it matter? When life is at stake, preparation always matters. Hannah and Garrett and Jesse B. are living proof of that. Let me close this way. Thanks to prayer and some intentional preparation on Pepperdine University's campus, particularly through William Perreal, a safe place from the burning forest fires actually became a reality. Young people have a variety of memorabilia that they like to hang from their rearview mirrors in the car. Dice was popular for a long time. Their graduation tassels are a popular item. Some type of religious symbol across the Virgin Mary, that's also popular. But if you were to ride with Hannah you would see a surgical mask she wore in the library while her. <laughs> no, that's not her, okay? Don't you dare tell her I put that up there. But you'd see a surgical mask like that one hanging from her rearview mirror. And here's why. Because she said it's a symbol to her of the very real hand of God and his ability to provide when you can't something she didn't create or earn came between her and possible death. And she said she's eternally grateful. She wants others to see and to hear how blessed she is and how blessed they could be. In church, we have the opportunity to do the same. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning grateful so much of what we have, so much of what we know. It's all got you in it. And we come confessing. Sometimes it just doesn't matter that other people don't have it. 
We're busy. Our lives are demanding. You know that. You walked among us and, and you know the pull of, of just day-to-day living. And you know the pull of the, enemy, of the enemy trying to, to distract us from your mission. But we're coming this morning saying, would you be the lifter of our heads? Would you help us focus on the task that you sent us into this world to do? To go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded. We're here to say this morning, God, we want to try. We want to be a part of that. We want to be that bridge to connect you and them so that you can do the saving. We want to be intentional about that, prayerful about that. But we realize none of that happens without your Holy Spirit. So please, just come flood us. Light a holy fire within us. Light a constructive fire within us so that we can help others repel the fire from without. We ask us humbly in Jesus' name and everyone said.